switching to a brand new topic this month, and it's called Becoming Beloved. Now, the reason why we called it Becoming Beloved is because we're going to be reading, uh, so we're going to be studying 1 John. Now, 1 John is a really interesting little book. We've heard back from you that many of you have said, we love it when you just study books of the Bible. Can we just do that? And we're like, all right, let's see if we can find a book of the Bible that fits within one month and see if God makes something spiritual out of this. So we found 1 John here, and I'm actually really excited by 1 John because 1 John is a really cool book because I love listening to and hearing from people who are old in the faith. They've been in the faith for a long time. They're maybe older physically in age, but they're also very old in their faith in Jesus Christ. And I think there's something very important to that. And this is the only man, the only disciple who actually lived into his old age that was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. The rest of them got murdered. They were massacred, they were, they were crucified, they were uh, um, martyred for their faith. They didn't, they, not, none of them reached past the age of 50, I believe. Most of them were in their 30s and their 40s when they got killed. This is the only one, the only guy who actually lived into his 90s. So 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John was actually written in his 90s. Now, he's also the one who wrote the, the, the Gospel of John, which is one of the, the coolest Gospels out uh, of the four Gospels. But the Gospel of John uses this word love all the time. And he even called himself, I'm the beloved disciple, right? See me? I'm the one that Jesus loved. How can you not love this right here, right? That's how boastful he was. But he wasn't boastful. He was very humble. But he just felt the presence of Christ. He felt so loved. He was the one who was willing to actually put his head on the, on the chest of Jesus and rest there. Nobody else did it. Like, who's that guy, John? Who does he think he is? He thinks he's beloved. And so we thought, well, how do we become beloved? Well, I'm going to give you a little heads up right now. We're going to look at 1 John about being beloved, but we're also going to discover that it's not a lot about just love. It's actually a lot of rebuke going on. And the reason was is because he had a very reason for writing this, this, this book, right? In 1 John 2.26, he says, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. He was literally taking his sword out and going, Kung Fu magic! He was like slicing and dicing, going, you can't do this and you can't do that. That sounds like a terrible thing. But he was trying to help them discover the same Jesus that he had found. He wanted them to have what he had. He wanted them to feel as loved as he felt. And to do that, he had to be like a surgeon and go in slicing and dicing to get rid of the rot that was actually growing in their life. And this isn't just about persecution that was coming against them. Because I remember one of my mentors said this. He says, more dangerous than persecution outside the church is perversion inside the church. You see, many, many actually look at the things that are happening in the world and go, I can't believe that people hate us as Christians. Really? I can't believe that you can't believe that people hate us as Christians. Because Jesus told us, the world will hate you because of me. And so persecution outside the church is not our problem. Perversion inside of the church is really what our problem is. And so today, I want to actually go back to school. Yes, I want to go back to school. How many of you graduated? Is anyone that graduated this year? Did anyone graduate this year? No graduates? Oh, a couple of graduates over there. Okay, so when you went to get graduated, you actually put on your robe to make yourself look really important and special, right? And then you put on this really cool hat, right? Which looks really weird, right? It looks like you're bouncing a book on your head. And this is what we do to prove 
that were smart. So when you get graduated, you go up there and you get this thing flying in your face, whatever it is, maybe it's to keep the, 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 the flies out your face or something, and you go, they go up and they go, Peter Brunton, and you come up, and you're like this, and then you shake hands like that, and then you go to the other side, and does anyone know what you're traditionally meant to do? Does anyone know? You're meant to flip it over. Why are you meant to flip it over? Because when you hang on this side, you're saying, I'm moving to, from being dumb to being educated dumb. Right? You're flipping it over because you've graduated. You've now passed the test. This thing is driving me nuts. You passed the test and now you've gone to the place where you're recognized as being graduated. The interesting thing is, if you do all the tests and you fail just one and you're short of a credit, do you actually pass? You don't. You don't get to graduate. You have to complete the whole course. And so today we're going to go back to school and we're going to see the test that John sets out for these, these, these people that he's writing to, for this church, this community that he's writing to. He's saying, here's the four tests that you have to pass in order to truly be graduated. The four tests of true faith in Jesus Christ. Here's the number one. The first one is this. That is the historical test. What facts do I believe about Jesus Christ? What facts do I believe about Jesus Christ? How do I know he was making that test? Well, a couple of reasons. He wrote this in John 1, 1 to 3. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. Why is he saying this so strongly? Because there was a problem that was going on in the early church. And I believe it's actually now coming back around. In fact, many of you who may be going off to college and going off to school, you're going to find that this type of challenge is going to come against you. And that is people who doubt the veracity of Jesus Christ. And here's John saying, no, 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 I saw him. I touched him, I heard him, I know for sure that's who he is. He was the first eyewitness, he was the first account that Jesus actually existed. But what will happen is you'll find that people will come, come across your path and they'll say things like, well, I demand proof that Jesus exists. I need to, uh, how, you can't prove that Jesus exists. You're right, I can't prove it because proof is something that you can replicate. But evidence is something that points to the existence of something. Does that make sense? So when someone asks you for proof, tell them it's not fair to ask for proof because you don't have any proof that even our founding fathers existed. You don't have any proof that anyone exists in the past, but we have evidence that they actually exist. Does that make sense? And here's John, he's saying, wait a second, I have the evidence. I touched him, I saw him, I heard him. I have the evidence. This is our evidence, first-hand experience. Does that make sense? It's very important that we understand that because then you'll get to the place where they go, well, um, you know what, I, I demand scientific proof. I only believe in anything that can be scientifically proven. Listen, that is intellectually dishonest. Why? Because you'll never get married and you'll never have a relationship. You can never have scientific proof that will prove that the person that you fall in love with will actually love you back. 
right? The Scriptures is not a scientific book. The Scriptures is a historical book. This is why the first test is what do we historically believe about Jesus Christ? And, and, and here's John telling us, you need to know what you believe about Jesus. Historically, he was a real person. You see, most of, most of uh, religious writings out there are not based on historical events. They're based on moral beliefs. Now, Muhammad, he was a historical person. We have evidence that he existed, but he was only one test. So here's some of the tests that we would actually say that is important for you to understand. I'm not going to go over them completely. I'm not going to answer them all, but I want you to understand. Here's the basic questions that you need to ask yourself to be able to verify the facts of Jesus. Number one, did Jesus really exist? Was he a historical person? Did they just make him up? Number two, how did he live his life? Was he actually a good person? Was he not a good person? Was he actually a liar? Number three, were his teachings consistent? Did he do and say the same things? Did he live like he actually believed? And the last one was, is what is his resurrection? Was his resurrection real? Do we have enough evidence out there to be able to show that that is true? Okay, we're back to school. Taking notes right now, take a photo, take a screenshot online right now if you need to see, see, these, uh, see these questions because these are questions you have to answer as a Christian to be able to be sure that you're believing in the historical Jesus. Are you following me so far? Is your brain bleeding? No, okay, we've got some duct tape to keep your brains in if it is falling apart. Okay, number two. Number two, the theological test. What's the theological test? Who do I believe Jesus to be? Who do I believe Jesus to be? 1 John 2, 1, 2 says this. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. Now, he didn't just call him Jesus. He didn't just call him the Christ. I'll show you why in a minute. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Why is he bringing this up? The reason he's bringing this up is because we know around about that time, there was a thing that came about called Gnosticism. Has anyone ever heard that term before? I told you we're going back to school, weird words this morning. Gnosticism. Gnosticism basically means secret knowledge. Secret knowledge. Now, Gnostics were coming into the church and they were saying this. Firstly, Jesus was a good man, but he was only inhabited by the Christ. That means that Jesus and the Christ were actually two different people. In fact, this is coming back to the church now. It's called deconstructing your faith. It's called liberal Christianity. And they're saying, you know what? Jesus was a good man and we can all be good people too. And then when he got baptized, the dove came down on him and, and the Christ kind of inhabited him. And then he was kind of walking around in his body. No, John is saying he is the same person. Jesus is the Christ. Je Christ is Jesus himself. But the other dangerous thing that was coming into the church at that time, which, which I believe has been really happening a lot in our world, it's been happening a lot, and I don't mind that happens in the world because that's what we expect from the world, but it's now creeping into the church a lot. Now watch this, this is, this is really, really quite clever, and it's this, we have special truth that you can't get from the scriptures. You see, Gnosticism is secret knowledge. And I've been seeing this a lot over the past few years, even through racial tension, through the Me Too movement, through the gender issue of questions, the, the political world as well. Basically, people are saying, because I'm a victim, because I'm in this position, you, can only, you can't get any truth other than through me because I've experienced this. If you've not been through it, I have been through it. So only I know what is true. 
This goes against Scripture because the Bible tells us that truth comes from Jesus Christ. If you're truly a Christian, you cannot decide that truth comes from anything outside of Jesus Christ because He is the one who is God Himself. Does this make sense? This is why we're not saying that we discount anyone who's had the experience of racism or the experience of sexism or the experience of of being abused, they may have a unique experience, but I will never trust them enough to be the source of truth. Jesus is my standard. Does that make sense? This is so important. Yeah, go ahead and applaud because Jesus is good. This is what he's saying. First John chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. Who is the liar? Boy, he gets really tough here, right? Who is the liar? It says, whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, the source of truth, the eternal, the Alpha and Omega, the first and last. It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the truth. Jesus even said it himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If he's not the way, he's not the truth, and he's not the life, then you shouldn't trust him and follow him. That's one of the tests. Is his, true, is his teachings true? That's one of the tests. If you can't pass that test with him, then you don't graduate into Christianity. That's fine. You can live whatever else life you want to live. But if you want to be a Christian, you have to pass that test. You follow me so far? All right, let's go to the third test. The third test is the model test. Do I live like Jesus? What does John say about this? He says this. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person, 1 John 2, 4 says. Wow, that's pretty tough stuff, right? Being a Christ follower means that you have a changed life and a new set of standards. You can't say, I follow Christ, and then your life doesn't change to be like Christ. This is what he's saying. I believe there are too many who say that they have found the faith, but they're not actually changing their behaviors. Oh no, I'm a Christian, but you're still cheating on your taxes under the table. I'm a Christian, but you still hate your neighbor. I'm a Christian, but you're still treating people, the poor people, and you're not actually helping them. Jesus said we're meant to help the poor people. I'm a Christian, but you're still sleeping with your girlfriend. I'm a Christian, but actually, are you a Christian? This is what he's saying. You have to pass this test as well. I'm not saying if you pass... Uh, if, you, if you pass all tests today, you're all perfect. No, we're not trying to come to Christ perfectly. We're trying to come to Christ clean, right? Now, you probably never heard of this, but have you ever heard of coming clean? Coming clean means to be honest, means to be completely true and saying, I, I want to be honest. I want to be open. I want to be vulnerable. It doesn't mean come, come perfectly. When you come clean to someone, you're usually confessing your crimes, right? You're confessing your sins. Well, we come to Christ coming clean, not coming perfectly. And he's saying this, he said, but does, if, you, if you say you know him, but you don't come clean, you don't do what he's telling you to do, then you're a liar. That's pretty tough stuff, isn't it? Let's go to the last one. In fact, no, before we do that, in 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 40, says this. If we claim to be without sin, if we don't come clean with what needs to change in our lives, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, may make, may, let me make this really clear. He uses the word sin a lot right? A lot, which sounds like the right thing to do if you're a pastor and you're a preacher. But oftentimes I think that we misunderstand what sin is. We think that sin is something that hurts other people. No, 
Vice is what you do wrong to yourself. A crime is something you do wrong to other people. Sin is what you do wrong to God. You see what I'm saying? Vice is what you do to yourself. A crime is what you do against someone else. But sin is what you do wrong to God. You see, if you're doing something that doesn't really hurt you, doesn't really hurt other people, but it's not actually God's way, then you're actually in sin. And that's why it's important for us to understand how do we become like Jesus? He became human. He became like one of us. So it's possible for us to do what he did. Why? Because the Bible says that he went through everything that we went through. Number four, here's the last test that he gives us. Number four, that is the social test. What is the social test? The social test is, do I love other believers like Jesus? Now, I'm gonna tell you, most of you could have passed all the first three, but the last one is just a little hard. Why? Because I don't know that I like believers as much as I'm meant to. Which, which I get, right? I, I, I totally get that. In fact, I never wanted to be a pastor because of this. I wasn't passing this test when I was a teenager. Even when I came over to America, I'm like, I'll do the music, but I'm not sure about looking up, loving these people or stuff like this. I wasn't passing the test very well. Why? Maybe it's probably because I became a bitter pastor's kid, right? Imagine that. I became, I became angry and upset with the way that people treated my father and the way that they lived. I'm like, they call themselves Christians, blah, blah, blah. Until one day it's like, you call yourself a Christian, but you don't love the ones that Jesus loves. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If you don't love who Christ loves, you don't love Christ, is what this is saying. 1 John 2 Verse nine, he says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother, and I don't mean a brother, right? Hates a brother or a sister. That means Adelphos, which literally means Christian brother or sister. If you do hates a brother or a sister is still in the darkness. This is a test that we must pass. I often sometimes hear people that will say, I love God, but I hate church. Me too. But I had to change my attitude because Jesus said, if you don't love them, you don't love me. And this is something that's really important. If you've got a, an, an offense against someone in church, if you're bitter against them, if you're angry against them and you haven't moved on from it, you are not passing this test. Years ago, I remember, uh, not years ago, a couple of years ago, I read a book called Mission to Nuremberg. Really fascinating book. And it's about this Lutheran pastor who was sent to Nuremberg. Has anyone heard of that name, Nuremberg, before? So after World War II, they took all the Nazi high officers and they put them on trial. And this American pastor was tasked with giving them spiritual uh, uh, needs, meeting their spiritual needs, right, to minister to them. And once he had done it, he actually ministered to them and four of them decided to give their life to Christ and he gave communion to them. We're talking about the, the most hateful, the most brutal people that we have seen in our, in our, in our living memory who actually massacred millions of people and they, they, they had done the whole Holocaust. When that pastor came back to America, he found that a lot of people in the church actually rejected him because they couldn't believe that he would be willing to actually give communion to those who were that evil. But his reason of why he did it, he said, I don't have a choice. The scripture tells me if they accept Christ, I must love them. That's a tough thing 
right? If there's someone who has really hurt you, has really rejected you, has really put you in a position to give you a good reason to reject them, I want you to know you don't have a choice whether you should love them or not. If you want to pass this test, you have to pass all the tests. And I believe we have to pass the tests every day. Sometimes I stumble on a test. Sometimes I fail on it. Sometimes I'm, I'm backtracking. I'm backsliding. I'm not doing the right thing. My mind's not in the right place. My actions are not in the right place. But that's not, it's not about that you have to be a perfect person. It just has to be that you have to return back to Christ every time. Go back up on stage and get graduated again. Well, how many times should I forgive? Jesus said, do it seven times 70. What's that? 1,400 times. By the time you, by the time you forgive a person 1,400 times, there's a good chance you'll have forgotten what it was that they did against you, right? Go back, get graduated all, all over again. Go back to school, go back to school, go back to school. This is how we're meant to live. So today as we finish... If you're in a small group, if you're not in a small group, you can go on our website, northwestorlando.com, and you go to our small group uh, uh, finder, and it'll actually just click on the button. It'll show you places where you can go and find a small group. Here are the questions that we have for this week. It's important for us to discuss these things, to understand these things, because right now you're just receiving information. But when you process it by yourself with other people through your mouth, you learn so much more. Let's stand this morning as we finish our service. Father God, we are grateful that you have given us an opportunity for a free education. We're so grateful that you've given us the opportunity that it wasn't really free, that your son paid for this education. And you've given us the opportunity to now go into a vocation, that is to live out the life of Jesus Christ. And I pray as we're examining these tests, that you would help us to pass them every day so that we can be like Jesus and win more people to Christ because there are so many more who do not know who you are. And I pray that you would fill up our hearts, fill up our bodies, fill up our minds from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet to truly find this faith that becomes stronger and stronger within ourselves. And we put two feet on that faith and we're able to firmly declare who we believe in, what we believe in, and why we believe in it and invite so many others into this faith. We ask for your presence in your precious son's name. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Let's give him a great shout of cheer. Come on. Amen.